So the reading is taken from Matthew, chapter 5, verse 13 to 17. Thank you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Um, how many of you were brought up in the Church of England out of just nosiness? There's no shame in it. I don't think. Um, how many of you, with the Book of Common Prayer, associate that particular final verse with a particular thing? Anyone remember? The BCP. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What happens next? Come on, Sarah, help us out. Oh. Then we have a collection. Uh, it was one of, one of Cranmer's better ideas, I think. You find verses, you line them up, and in fact, we only normally use that one, but there's about 20 of them, that you can encourage people or shame them, depending how you see these things, into putting something in the collection box. Of course, we, we do have a collection box here, which you're always welcome to use, but of course, most people give by standing order, and that's why we uh, do that other thing. But I've always associated, I remember it, oh, your light shining, and then let's have your money. It's sort of slightly Bob Geldof-y type way of doing things. Sorry, that's a terrible thing. Sorry, Lord. <laughs> I don't mean it. I don't mean it. Um, so I've got to click it here. Jesus says, um, you are the light of the world. Now, when I hear that, I want to say, no, you are the light of the world. And then he says back, no, you are the light of the world. That's what goes in my head anyway. I don't know whether you're feeling very light to today. Um, the thing is, I'm quite sure that Jesus is the light of the world. And of course, in uh, John 12, he did actually say, I am the light of the world. Um, I'm just not very convinced I am regularly enough. There's something I think has just crossed my mind in Barchester Chronicles, where it talks about someone who's actually quite holy, and um, the archdeacon can't get this vicar to do what he wants him to do. And he says, yes, he has frequent bouts of Christianity. <laughs> quite like that. Um, but Jesus is very clear, you are the light of the world. Last week, Joe opened up this subject to us. It's a doublet saying of uh, Jesus. So he says two things, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Salt and light. Now, there's different ways we could think about it, but as I've got the mic, I'm going to tell you mine. So the way I think of this is of them functioning together in a healthy way. I mean, here you are, 
You're the church of Jesus. You're, you're lovely. That wasn't sarcasm. That was being loving. Other people don't always interpret my loving very well either. But this is how I think of it. So here is us. On the left-hand side, we're being salty. Church midweek. So about 7% of people are Christians who go to church regularly. But midweek... You're the red dots, by the way. You see, each red dot has eight other dots around it. That's when we have our most surface area touching other people, blessing them, engaged with their lives. Being salt, very diluted, but making a difference, hopefully, being salty wherever we are. That's what Joe was talking about. But then on a Sunday, or when we happen to gather together, there we are, all stuck in a corner, very little surface area, not touching very many people, but we are light because we're bringing our little, you know, glow sticks together and somehow it's brighter together. Which is church? Both, of course. It's just it doesn't always feel it. When you're the sort of minority, you're the one in your environment at school, at college, in your workplace, with your neighbours, in a club somewhere. Whatever you're doing, you're being sold, but when we're gathered together, it's easier somehow because we're light and there's not other people to mess up our lives in a slightly indignant way, he says it. But it's, we're always church, wherever we are. It's just we're either being sold, hopefully, God willing, by God's grace, or we're being light. And actually, that can be really attractive some people will be attracted to Jesus primarily because of the salt. They see, wow, that person is so good. I'm so glad they're part of the company. They add value to everything we do. But other people are attracted by the light, and they think, wow, these people have got something I don't, and it's very, they're attracted to the light. But it's always church. Jesus is the light, but so are we. Now, I grew up in an old farmhouse, and we had, my job was lighting the fire, and it's a terrible thing, it's now a, a confession of shame, we used coal. But it was great fun, I lit the fire, but I had a poker. How many of you have enjoyed having a poker in your life? Okay, I don't know where that's going, so I'll just move on. It was black, but what I loved doing, because I was slightly a risk taker, as I still am, if you leave a poker in the fire, what happens to it? Yeah. Uh, it's not fire, but it shares the property of the fire, and it gets red hot. And I would turn the lights off and stumble back to the fire and take out this red hot and think, what can I burn? What, 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 Mum's not here. What can I do with a red hot poker? And it turns out quite a few things. Uh, <laughs> which will probably be discovered uh, later. But Jesus uh, says he is the light of the world. But if, if we are in Christ, we get to share his properties. The poker is not the fire, but it shares the properties. They're communicable properties that go over to the poker. And so we're not God, but we get to share the very properties. We share the very likeness and nature of God if we are in Christ. 
as Paul says in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Jesus says, you, because you're my followers, are the light of the world. And then he says in verse 14, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. That's pretty obvious, really. No, that's not a criticism. It's just part of what Jesus says. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus was probably thinking of the hill called Mount Zion. So sometimes in the Old Testament, you get the word Zion used as a sort of metaphor for the whole of Jerusalem. And there it is. If you ever go to Jerusalem at night, it's amazing because there's light on the wall. And you couldn't ever hide it. Although, of course, if you've seen the Simpsons movie, you, you could actually, but I, I don't think that's current theology that it's going to happen. So if you don't know what I'm talking about there, don't worry. It won't really help you. So it happens in Springfield in the Simpsons movie. Forget it. Um, my, I'm just going to blank that. So, oh, no, I won't. Um, in my last parish, which was called Litchit Minster and, and uh, Litchit Matravers um, and, and Upton, there was a place uh, called Beacon Hill. And I'm not going to ask you to turn to your neighbour and work out, why do you think it was called that? It's really quite implied in the name. It was a hill. And there was a beacon at the top, one of those sort of braziers that could be set fire to. So in Dorset, from the 14th century, there was a whole network of uh, beacons going across the south coast if there was going to be an invasion. And uh, bless you, in 1588, as you may remember from history, not, you know, you've got an alibi, but the Spanish Armada sailed up the English Channel and the people of Lichit Minster lit their beacon. And uh, later, as you know, it was good for good day for the English. Um, the people of Lichit were presented with a coat of arms to recognize that they'd been really helpful. And uh, to this day, if you go into Lichit Minster Parish Church, there's the uh, organ gallery, and in the middle, there's a coat of arms. And it was actually donated, it was a gift to the people of Lichit from Queen Elizabeth I to say, well done, guys. You let your light shine. And so I find that rather moving, that 450 years later, there's evidence of people lighting their beacon, making a difference, and that it was very good news for the people around them. Now, we live in a very dark world at times, and we can be so easily lured into thinking, I won't make any difference, and we just feel hopeless. How could I make a difference, even in our family, let alone our city, or, or Wiltshire, or the country, or the world? I mean, it becomes then overwhelming. And then we don't let our light shine. How will people be changed? Because they see God's light in you and in me. None of us, I think, will ever touch the sun. Although scientists say we are all from the core of a star. Big thought. I don't know much about 
astrophysics. I, I, I loved it as a child. We're 93 million miles from the sun. We're not going to drop in there anytime soon. Takes light, you know, quite a few minutes to get to us. But I'm sure most of us have been out, uh, outside sometimes and um, perhaps the sun's behind a cloud and then it suddenly moves away and you feel its rays on you, making your skin ever so slightly crispy. <laughs> that feeling. Of, it's the, now, we're not touching the sun, but something of the sun is touching us. And at a scientific level, it's either uh, particles or waves, depending how you conceive light. But something of the properties of the sun bangs into us. And we say, oh, there is a sun. That's what it's like. There are people in this city who have heard a rumor there is a God. But he feels a very long, long way away. How will they possibly know? It's if you let your light shine. And then something of the properties of God lands in their life. And they'll say, wow, maybe there is a God. Because I've, I've been warmed by it. The light of God, the warmth of God. It's a beautiful thing. Private faith is a jolly good thing. Although in the course of ministry, I have taken a lot of funerals where people said, well, he had a very private faith. And I always want to interrogate that a little bit. And of course, I'm far too polite, and so I don't. And I think, well, how private was it? Did, did God know about it? I mean, how private should our faith actually be? Private faith is not light. It's a good thing. But Jesus is very clear. Let your light so shine before other people that they see it. And then they'll give glory. Not say, what a very nice chap or chapess. They'll say, God is good. Let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so a, a slightly cheeky but a real question I'd love to invite you to consider through this week. It's not a proposal, it's just as a hypothetical thing. If St. Francis Church were to close tomorrow, forever, who would miss us? Who in this community who never comes here would say, oh, I'm really sorry about that. I didn't want to go, but I'm really glad they were there. I'm guessing those are the people on whom something of God's light and warmth is falling. I came here quite early on um, Friday morning and um, I noticed a guy sleeping in our porch there. And uh, obviously I went over and had a chat and um, his name's Robert. And I said, have you been sleeping there all night? And he said, no, I was sleeping in Hudson's Field. Now I don't know if you remember Thursday night and Friday morning, it was really wet. And he was soaked and shivering. I'm guessing he's in his 30s. But um, I suggested he might want to come in and have a cup of tea or coffee, because it was Friday coffee morning. And uh, so Jane was lovely to him. He wouldn't come in, 
He could have. We wanted him to. But I think he was probably felt embarrassed or ashamed. So Jane, good old Jane, took something out to him. So I'm guessing he would miss us. <laughs> who are the people who would come to our funeral and say, I'm really sorry they've gone? On whom is our light actually shining so that they are benefiting in any way, so that we're not just a private member's club. It was only a little bit of light. That hasn't changed his life too much, but it was a little bit of a, a glow stick for him. Light always wins. Jesus says in the prologue of uh, John's Gospel, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You know this. There's no actual competition, is there? Darkness can't beat light. Light always wins. Light shines in darkness and destroys it. But of course, darkness advertises itself very well. And if we watch the news and overdose on that and see wars and poverty and broken relationships and pain. But darkness is not a thing, it's the absence of light. Light always wins. It always pushes back the darkness. I've, I know I've said this before, and maybe you think I'm even more of a weirdo than I am, but I've quite often been in this church by myself late at night, especially in the winter months, and I quite like lighting a single candle on the communion table. And just as I adjust, I can see every corner of this room, even in complete darkness. One candle extinguishes darkness. And I've got a torch that's 10 million. You don't shine it in your eyes, I've discovered. Not, not very healthy for you. Just think of us, all the candle power we have but what's the problem? Jesus is clear, light always wins, but the battle is not between light and darkness. Jesus says the battle is whether we believe it, and if we don't, we probably hide our light under a bushel. I can see an immediate health and safety issue here. If you have a can have you ever had a candle and you've, I put one on a, bookshelf hadn't really crossed my mind that that means there's a piece of wood really close to a candle flame doesn't it's not very good for it but Jesus said what a preposterous idea even in his day that people would light a lamp is using up the oil of the oil lamp and then put it under a bowl why would you possibly do it but he says that's where the battle is lost or won the failure of the church is not that we don't have light is that we don't let our light shine. Are we hiding our lights, or is it on a stand? Can people see it and say, there must be a God? I lived, uh, I grew up in Guernsey, and out of my bedroom window, I could see the Honwa Lighthouse. Um, I grew up thinking everyone had flashing lights in their room every, all night and that at four in the morning you'd hear seagulls. I thought everyone in the world had that. Turns out they don't. But I do love 
lighthouses. They can be so beautiful. It looks lovely in calm water, but of course, it's only really especially useful when it's a bit rough. That's what it's built for, for when there is darkness and when there is danger. In 1974, um, I looked out of our bathroom window and I saw there was a boat on the beach. It turned out it was, uh, there'd been a terrible storm and a Greek Cypriot uh, wood-carrying boat called Prosperity, ironically, um, it was lost at sea. And all 18 people drowned. Whenever I go over to Guernsey, which uh, I'm doing this summer, I can't resist it. I go down to Lihu Island and there's a monument and there's all these names, and there's t mainly teenagers. I find it very poignant. So I've lived very close to the sea. I've always seen uh, disasters. How many lives have been saved by lighthouses? How many people could be? At the end of a baptism, and there's people in this church who've very recently been baptized or are going to be baptized, we give a lighted candle and commission the newly baptized people. You have received the light of Christ. Walk in this light all the days of your life, and then we all shout at them. Shine, let's say it. Shine as a light in the world to the glory of God the Father. Will we do that? I mean, I know when I'm talking right now, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm up for it. But it's when I'm out there when I'm being salt, <laughs> that I, I can get diluted. But whether we're midweek scattered or on a Sunday gathered church, we're always meant to be salt and light. And I believe Jesus speaks this over my life and yours. We're to be salt and light. I don't think we're meant to feel bad about ourselves. I don't think we're meant to be beating ourselves up and saying, oh, I'm rubbish. That won't help at all. We don't want to curse the fact that we, we're a bit rubbish. We want to be motivated to be as salty and as lighty as we can be. I don't know if that's a word, but you know what I mean, I'm quite sure. So, what are we going to do about it? Um, let's have, just have a 30 seconds or a minute. Let's just think. Where are you going to be salt? Where are you going to be later today or through the week ahead where you will be salt? Uh, where is your light, the warmth of Jesus to be spilled onto other people's lives? Let's just let the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you come by your Spirit? Give us a nudge of what you're inviting us into, this adventure, this scary adventure with you called discipleship. And I invite you just to keep your eyes closed, perhaps open your hands and say, come Holy Spirit, help me to be the salt and the light. As I speak these words of Jesus over all of us, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light 
shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven.